And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And tame, and tame again. Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! An open-top bus parade, OBEs all round, even for Aaron Ramsdale, National Free Lions Day, a limited edition commemorative coin paid for in 12 equal monthly instalments, a child named Jordan, Kyle, Harry, John, Luke, Calvin, Declan, Bakayo, Mason, Raheem, Harry, and some very angry football gods. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Right now you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of £1 a month for six months. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash clichés pod to take advantage of this special discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash clichés pod. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 80 of the Football Clichés podcast. I'm Adam Hurry and with me first of all, David Walker. You know what's coming. You know mm-hmm. what's coming here. You've dug yourself into this hole. Chris Truckle <laughs> writes in and he says, what is the acceptable amount of time to leave your wall chart on the wall after the final? Once you filled in the winner box, it seems silly to take it down that night, agreed, but a week seems too long, also agreed. Can you and your team help decide this? He's made us sound like ground force. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great question. One I hadn't really considered. You know, I suppose it's a bit like a Christmas tree, isn't it? Or a birthday card or something. (laughs) But And also, it's just reminded me that I I actually, uh, I think I had my 2014 wall chart up for about two years. In my old place, we just never took it down. Once it was up, once it's sort of passed a certain point, it's like becomes like a a part of the scene, part of the furniture. It's just like another thing on the wall. But it was too long that, yes. Um, I think, I think, I think a a week, yeah. I think maybe a a week week, maximum. A what are you going to be doing? What pleasure are you going to be getting from your wall chart uh, you know, like just, four or five days later? It's, just sitting there looking, reminiscing about great games and I just think this the month we've had. Fair enough. Alongside you is James Moore. Um, we pretty much only have one thing to share with you straight away. Uh, this is Clive Tilsley doing Czech Republic Denmark the other night. Um, cue clip. I bet Vladimir Sokol fancied his chances chasing back there yeah. against the right footed mailer. Go on, show us your swinger. Let's see what you can do. Ah. <laughs> see that one coming. No, neither did I. I mean, if you're going to say something like that, I suppose McCoyst is the guy to have alongside you <laughs> in the, in the um, implied commentary gantry. It's not impossible McCoyst has said that before, is it? 
I mean, I mean, I mean, juvenile as this is, James. I mean, at the time, I, had, I suddenly questioned myself: is, is is that a synonym for what I'm thinking? It's a synonym for. I don't want to make a silly joke here on the podcast if it's not. I, I don't think it's a traditional one, but I think it, it certainly sounds like it could be. Yeah, yeah. If you're lucky yeah, enough it, to have one, it's sufficiently swingable. Yeah, that is true. Certainly. <laughs> certainly uh, yes. The adjudication panel opens its proceedings with this, Dave. Um, I thought about this so much over the last 24 hours or so, I, I've muddled my brain completely. George Warby says, are you able to discuss what role, if any, the footballing gods are having at Euro 2020? What are the football the football gods? Is it like Lady Luck? I feel like I know what the I, phrase is, and I feel like if I heard it in normal conversation, I'd suddenly have an image of it. But now I've thought about it so much, I just don't know anymore. I think, um, well, the footballing gods certainly shining down on England at the moment. Um, right. But they're like they're like the sort of you know they're, they're they're the people that write the script. I think. Okay. Roger Ellis wades into the debate, James, and he says, if there are footballing gods (plural) as in most polytheistic setups, they probably have different roles. Rather than gods of war, love, wine, etc., what are footballing gods' roles? The god of strikers, the god of extra time, the god of late substitutions. Definitely overthinking it there, isn't he? No, it'd be surely it'd be kind of deflections and um, like scuffed penalty spots and things like that. They, those are the things that kind of feel like more like divine intervention, right? The difference I had in mind between that and Lady Luck, Dave, is I thought maybe I thought maybe football gods were kind of more kind of all-encompassing things like the for, your fortunes across a season or a tournament. So the football gods are smiling on you because you've done well in this tournament rather than a shot going in off the post, like a sort of spirit guide looking over you throughout your yeah. your the season. Yeah. More of a long-term, you know, deity. I just, I just sort of envisaged them in my head as actually like um, it'd be nice if they were like four old blokes in blazers, like the FA, in a wood-panelled <laughs> room, just sort of deciding who to be nice to and who not to be. The nice FA to. Council definitely think they are the football <laughs> gods, don't they? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, George, I hope we got somewhere to getting to the bottom of that. On to even more exciting matters, James. Samuel Simmons asks, long-sleeved shirts, a genuine dying breed? Can only think of a few players who wear them. Varane, Ronaldo, maybe a couple more. Can you even buy a long-sleeved shirt of your favourite team now? I hadn't thought about this, and now I think about it, I can't picture many players in genuine long sleeves. Well, I thought I could picture one, but actually it turned out I was wrong. But within that, I think I've actually solved the mystery. So in my, I very quickly when I saw this email, I thought to myself, who who can I imagine in a long sleeve shirt? And I guess it was because he played for England on Saturday. But the player that came to my mind was Mason Mount. Now, if you imagine Mason Mount now, he's wearing a long sleeve shirt, isn't he? Always wearing a long sleeve shirt. If you do a Google image search of Mason Mount, which I have done, in every single picture, he's wearing a short sleeve shirt with like a sort of Under Armour thing underneath. Uh, So yeah, my my theory is that players are issuing long sleeve shirts in favour of... uh, wearing these base layers instead of in the same colour. So you may occasionally see a player who you think is wearing a long sleeve shirt and in fact they're not. I mean, but Dave, if even goalkeepers aren't wearing long sleeve shirts anymore, what hope do we have for the outfield? It is weird. And I, I, I thought, when I, when I was thinking about this, I, I thought, well, maybe it's because, you know, the long sleeve shirt used to be, it was more suited to the shirts that were a bit more baggier back in the in the old days uh, and primarily obviously a thing sort of used for for warmth i suppose in in the winter months so i was thinking oh obviously it would look weird if the long sleeve shirts were like really tight but then as james said they do wear all these um you know the players routinely wear a sort of very tight the base layer sort of thing so it's a bit weird why why don't they have long sleeve shirts well, do they I, mean, I, I think they must i bet clubs do give players the option i bet they are still there but it's just 
probably not yeah, I mean, place they want them. You charge a premium for that, I would have thought. But I mean, just bring this closer to home, Dave. I mean, all Sunday league kits are long sleeve by default, it seems. Mm, not uh, mine. So what do you do? Oh, yours aren't. No, and I actually do do the... I have a red... Our kit's red and white. It's yeah. like a sort of Croatia-esque thing. Um, and I wear a red... I often wear a red base layer underneath it. Oh, interesting. The only one on the team who does that, actually. I'm sure I've never worn a base layer. I'm, I'm a sleeves rolled up, and then when they start falling down, fold them up kind of guy um it's very very labor intensive i'm i'm i have to say i'm not surprised at the death of the long sleeve shirt so samuel simmons good shout next up james stewart smith uh, who's been letting this one indeed stew for about a week now he says itv's joe spate described mario pasalic's 91 minutes 50 second equalizer as deep into stoppage time when there were six added minutes at what point do we get deep into injury time? As I would argue, we were at the shallower end of the additional time when the ball went in. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, sure, I mean presumably you have to be over 50% of the way through, right? Although, that I mean, that... I guess if you've got like, you know, 15 minutes added for some terrible injury, mm. I mean, if it's if it's seven minutes into 15 minutes, it's going to feel pretty deep, isn't it? A 50% threshold seems fair, seems logical. logical. And, that, and that seems like the first thing to to do but Dave maybe we should be just using a sort of strict kind of time barrier here I mean once you're maybe maybe once you're 90 seconds into injury time that is deep you are deep no matter how much injury time is left no I don't agree I think I I think deep's got to be in the the final minute minute and a half a push I think you you know you've got to be towards the end like if you're thinking of the, the swimming pool analogy you you're in the deep the deep end would be right at the end wouldn't it wouldn't be halfway through. I believe this is what the E17 song is about. So um, maybe we'll find <laughs> the hidden meaning there. But no, I think maybe James's 50% threshold is does make sense. Because, I mean, mm. even even allowing for a sort of horrific head injury and 15 minutes of injury time, it it would still stand up. So so it wasn't... So Mario Pasalic's 92nd minute equaliser was not deep into injury time. Joe Spate... An observation from stateside, Dave, next. Patrick Doherty says, No nation is better any one task than Italy is at encircling soccer referees. <laughs> <laughs> um, Absolutely. There are, some, there are some instant images that come into your mind when you, when you picture an Italian player appealing to the referee. First one, presumably quite obvious. What's the first kind of gesture? The pinching the... of the fingers. Mm-hmm. You would, would you be a double pincher or a single pincher? Uh, both hands or one hand? Oh, I think I think both. Because it's more pleading, isn't it? Both, yeah. Yeah, oh, the referees there, you need both, don't you? It has to be, like you say, it's yeah. more pleading, isn't it? It feels more yeah. emphatic. Yeah. I think we I really mean, we really have missed their presence. I think seeing them in this tournament, especially like that last 10 minutes of that game against Belgium, where they were just masterfully... Mm. Sucking every spare second out of the game, you, you, you realise that we need, we do need the Italians. They are, they very much, you know. Perhaps it's just, it, in in many ways, actually, obviously, this team is very unstereotypically Italian, but they still do retain some pleasingly stereotypical <laughs> Italian qualities. And I'm, and they were in full show on the in the quarter. They've got the balance just right. They were a really <laughs> adventurous attacking team, yet with all the characteristics that we always believed that they had. Mm. The whole thing is absolutely fantastic. But um, James, there are secondary things here in the kind of mise-en-scene of uh, Italian referee haranguing. We know that the, the finger-pinching is the first thing, but I, what I, um, there, was, there was other ones. Bonucci, I think this is when they were walking off at half-time and he was still remonstrating with the referee about something. Terrible for a podcast, but I'm going to do it anyway. He, was, um, he did this sort of thing where he kind of, he kind of just sort of leaned like that. He sort of went... <laughs> 
it, <laughs> yeah. it was, I don't even know how to describe that. It's kind of a shoulder shrug <laughs> and a lean. You look like you're having a stroke. This is definitely, don't make a clip out of this for fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. What emotion is that words, expressing? And I haven't been able to demonstrate it physically, so it's not going up. It's not going well. What emotion do you think he's expressing there? So he's sort of like shrugging, but leaning. Yeah, it's a bit like, of, shoulders on, up. Oh, come on. That's basically the, the, what the is. Is he talking to the ref here? Yeah. So this is it's about kind of, about the penalty just before half time, presumably. I assume so. Yeah, it must have been. So it's kind of like, yeah, come on, come on, of, ref. Yeah, yeah, come on, ref. Maybe not as maybe not as significant as I thought. Um, but oh, I, I like mean, it. another classic when they were all really piling around him, and you got someone like Verratti, like a small child as well, trying to irritate the referee. But Bonucci sort of stepping in and sort of wading them back with the, with both arms behind him. Um, I, I love it when someone takes charge of the remonstrating, James. Is both what, I, in summary, what I'm talking about here. Yeah, it's kind of the opposite of that thing you sometimes see, like you know, in Larry pubs, where someone's sort of saying, "Hold me back, hold me back," and actually, like, really sort of ostentatiously uh, pretending they're going to go for someone, but actually, kind of not really doing it at all. It's the, yeah, it's it's the, the polar opposite of that. Of that. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly right, exactly. So maybe they would be handy in a pub brawl. Mm. Dave Henrik Heimley Steiner's writes in and uh, in fact loads of people tweeted me about this um such as the intensity of the pedantry of this podcast when jordan henderson headed home england's fourth against ukraine the official england twitter account tweeted what a time to score your first international goal um provoking a flood of complaint suggesting that that wasn't really what a time to score your first international goal because it uh, as henrik heimley signers points out can it be used for someone scoring a goal that has no impact in the final outcome of a match? Uh, no, I think that's hard. I think people are being hard. It's more of an here. occasion thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's the fourth because the fourth goal actually is quite. I think it's more important than the third goal in this situation because it a four nil is like a new. It's a level up from a three nil or two nil as we spoke about the other day. Really? It's a, it's a, it's a proper. Uh, and we can get into what the proper word should be. Is it a thrashing? Uh, is it a thumping? I don't know what it, what you what you can. Is it a route? I don't know what you would consider to be the proper word. But it certainly caps off, takes it to a new level, and it's you know it's a quarterfinal. It's an occasion. It's it properly seals this triumph. Hmm. And and it's his first international goal, and he's sort of a. It's kind of been a thing. He missed the penalty before the tournament. People sort of know that he hasn't scored now for England because commentators are mentioning it all the time. Sure, and he's sort sure. of a seen. He's a seen the second most senior player in the squad. So I I think the FA's Twitter account is perfectly within their limits to do that. No, fair enough. They got a little bit carried away, maybe. But I mean, James. I mean, traditionally, what a time to is usually pinned to a pivotal pivotal moment in a game right is that fair to say yeah but then at the same time you know when uh, Claude McAuley scored his first goal for Chelsea yes. it was like a rebound from a penalty in the game where Chelsea won the league title right? yeah it was against Charlton in uh, 2005 and that yeah. was I mean I don't think it was like 4-0 but was it like kind of 4-1 or something like that it made it I think I don't think it was like a decisive goal in the game and they'd already won the league and yet I can imagine it being said because of the kind of the theatre of it all and the emotion of the day, I can kind of imagine yeah. that might okay. be the kind of situation where that might happen. So maybe there is sort of precedent for that. So the self-contained spectacle of it. Okay, fair enough. Um, speaking of that England game, Dave, I thought I was watching it quite intently. Um, but there was a moment that completely passed me by. I think I only saw the ball flashing past the post. And that was Kane's um, sort of left foot volley that nearly mm. sort of flew into the top corner. I don't feel like much has been made of that because that probably would have been the best goal ever scored by England at a major tournament, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I can't 
I'm trying to, you know, obviously Gaza, apart from Gaza, there isn't... Definitely um, better than Gaza's. A notable, amazing goal from... I mean, Bobby Charlton in 66, smashed one in from 30 yards, didn't he? But... Yeah, uh, you know, you're struggling, aren't you? It's, you know, England goals at tournaments. My, the images in my mind are headers from corners or scrappy. Yeah, you know, or, oh, oh, Owen, Owen, yeah. Owen, Argentina. Yeah, to be fair, mm. obviously that's that's an amazing one. It's a so that is very much a solo effort. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it would have been an absolutely amazing goal. It was so hit with such ferocity. Yeah. And it's it's one of those where you just you're really annoyed that the keeper saved it. It was like oh, of there, course there, he there did. Was one, there was one, yeah, he tipped it around the, you know, around the post. It was a great save. Mm. And it was, it reminded me, maybe this is a bit niche, but maybe people might remember, uh, two seasons ago when Kevin De Bruyne against Arsenal at the Emirates, when he'd scored two amazing goals and then he would have got a hat-trick with another amazing goal, but, but Leno just tipped it onto the post. And I was, I was angry. I was angry <laughs> that, that Leno had saved it because it would have been an amazing goal. And I was sort of similar with Kane last night. It would have been, I mean, the roof would have gone off the place wherever you were watching it it would have been amazing would the roof have gone off the Stadio Olimpico hang on hang on, <laughs> <laughs> hang on don't try and slide I know you're tired I know you're tired <laughs> you cannot hang on in fact in fact I'm I'm so irritated that you've not irritated I'm so intent on debunking that, that I'm going to go and find the official attendance of that game and decide as a proportion 000. of the stadium's capacity whether the roof was lift offable of the, you of the know Stadio what I mean I was... I'm doing it now um <laughs> <laughs> um, so eleven thousand eight hundred eighty in a in a seventy thousand seater stadium. Well, would I can, have taken I can, a lot of effort to get the roof. I off. can I can tell you the roof would have firmly <laughs> flew off the green pub in Shepherd's Bush where I was watching the game. That had gone in. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. The, the um, other thing is, it would have been a perfect hat trick as well if you'd scored. Oh my God, it would have been Jesus. Wouldn't it be great that the best crowning goal of a perfect hat trick being the weaker foot one as well? I mean, that's a that's a deluxe perfect hat trick, surely. But um, unfortunately, unfortunately for us, the footballing gods decided that there wasn't the moment for that yeah. to happen. James, I'm sure this is a thing. I mean, may, not just in this tournament, uh, maybe sort of England at major tournaments generally. We don't score great goals. I we're just we. I don't. There, there's no cultural or footballing reason for this. I think it's it is purely a footballing god situation. But I think I feel like we're very much overdue or deserving of a kind of era-defining England goal at a major tournament. Owen feel Owen and Gascoigne feel yeah, so that long feels ago. Yeah, a lifetime ago. Yeah. The, the other one I can think of is that joke, and this is a long time ago as well now. Really, mm. a joke I won against Sweden. The kind of dipping volley. You don't look convinced by that. Just not genuinely a fan of dipping, looping volleys. I mean, they are the wonder goal that anybody could score. He's kind of spooned it a bit, I guess, hasn't he? It's not, yeah, just yeah. putting your boots straight through. I mean, clearly an incredible goal to look at, but just, yeah, doesn't tick any of the other boxes. You're, but, I mean, you're totally right. Mm. I, I actually, to, to prove your point, I played Sunday League last week and in the warm-up, I mm. strode onto the pitch, the ball came to me and I hit a, just just smashed it as hard as I could from about 30 it's yards. Such a warm-up And it goal. went in like that. Yeah. Like, it was almost like in the same position. Like, you could, it's just, a, it is very much something that you could do with your swinger. Mm. <laughs> I should have mentioned this to Joe Cole when I saw him the other day, but didn't want to tarnish the latter part of his career. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. On to the big theme of this week's episode, James. Now, we've already established on this podcast that I have no um, no, no patience for people who are anti-fate-tempting. We are going to do some fate-tempting here and ask, what the what are the classic <laughs> guaranteed things that are going to happen if England win the Euros? And I'm talking about low-key cultural developments. Actually, first of all, are we going to have a... Do you think we'll have a, a bus parade? There will yeah, be one, right? Surely there will be, yeah. I don't, I don't know where it would be. I and mean, we were kind of at the point now where that's okay as well, right? It kind of feels like there'd have to be. If you can get 70,000 people inside the stadium, surely you can kind of line the streets of, I don't know, wherever it is. You could easily, you could see, you could very much see Boris Johnson being triumphant at that press conference and just, you know, if England had won the tournament, using it to kind of kick off some sort of national celebration of you know freedom and victory and triumph and it's coming home and all of that all of that stuff but uh, i think there will be a bus there will definitely be a bus um whether or not how, how the, the issue will be where the crowd obviously the crowds gathering can, lining the streets and where is it going to go from where is it going to end what's the precedent obviously 1966 was so long ago that nothing that happened then is relevant to what happened now uh, what was the most recent thing rugby world cup ashes 2005 what happened then yeah, they look on a stuff? massive bender yeah That's they were all pissed weren't they, they right? for three days yeah, yeah. not going to happen with these lads is it Sterling isn't going to be pissed for three days in down in rock up to Downing Street with his tie half hanging no, off his neck yeah. and all that who, who is the most squad. underwhelming member of this squad who will get a statue of England win the Euros. So, you know, obviously there's a statue of the three World Cup winners at West Ham. That, I mean, will they build a, a statue of Declan Rice outside the London Stadium? I don't think they'd require much persuading West Ham. And then, and then would they sell the statue to Chelsea when Declan Rice goes to Chelsea? Oh, oh that's, that's turning the screw. Um, I mean, trying to use the Rugby World Cup winning side of 2003 and the Ashes side of 2005 as kind of benchmarks for this sort of behaviour. Dave, I'm thinking, are we thinking OBEs all round? I mean, that, that feels like an easy easy thing to achieve. Is that what they got? England Rugby Squad all got OBEs. Woodward got an OBE and a knighthood at the same time, which feels like, oh, <laughs> don't need both, do you? If you yeah. get two OBEs, do you get bumped up to MB? Or what? I mean, how does it work? Don't you think, get two I'm not really expecting to have the answer to that question. <laughs> think MBE is lower. Oh, is it? Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought MBE, MBE is simply a member. Of course, oh. yeah. <laughs> and then you get um, SBE, which is swinger. And then um, <laughs> OBE is officer. So for some for some reason, I mean, I guess it kind of works in a sporting context. The Rugby World Cup winning team were considered better than the Ashes winning side. Dave, I mean, I guess that kind of works in the hierarchy of things. Yeah, I mean, yeah, winning a World Cup, I suppose, is rugby World Cup would be more difficult than winning an Ashes series. I don't know. I don't want to anger any cricket or rugby fans that may be listening. <laughs> or the Queen to, the, to um, this podcast. Yeah, because I think didn't the didn't the cricket team do their big thing in Trafalgar Square? 
I see. I seem to recall them being on top of the bus or, or coming out on the steps in Trafalgar Square. I think that's what the thing was. But where else would you go? Where else would you go? I mean, you know, when do, do it at Wembley? Gonna, Just do, it's going to be at Wembley anyway. Yeah. The bloody can, final will Wembley, be at Wembley. Wembley Way is quite well designed for that. Actually, they could, they could do it on the concourse, looking down at Wembley Way. It'd be like a sort of presidential inauguration setup. Actually, in fact, Woodward, Clive Woodward, was three years younger than Southgate is now. So Southgate, Southgate could quite conceivably be a sir. Yeah, that's got to be done, surely. Yeah. Is Gareth Southgate going to be the manager of the British and Irish Lions in, in, <laughs> in ten, year, 10 years' time? Uh, yes, yes, definitely. Bringing his quiet... Can you imagine him sort of transferring it to another sport? I think I can, because... Um, actually, there was... On Southgate, there was a really... I mean, there was a, the whole post-match scene of England-Ukraine, James, was quite heartwarming. And they, were, and they were all declaring their love for Southgate. And there was a bit when when Shearer was um, interviewing him on camera. And, and it felt... It, it just dawned on me that Southgate probably feels now like he was, he was kind of like the nerdy one of the England team back in, say, 1996. And I'm not saying he was bullied, but he was probably... I'm just saying he, he was obviously considered the, the nerdy kind of one. And now he's England manager. It felt like, I don't know, like, um, like, like a kid you... you kid at school who you didn't think much of and then turns out you know they run an entire pub or something like that and you're you're suddenly now kind of at their mercy <laughs> an entire pub yeah i don't know why i said entire pub sorry a, little, a big pub a big <laughs> a big, big pub. pub you're talking yeah. about someone specific from your childhood right <laughs> <laughs> no, i've got anyone in mind yeah you know those films like it's kind of 80s on early 90s films where there's like a sort of vaguely unattractive child who then becomes like really cool and popular it's like it's one of those kind of crap films isn't it right yeah, all they had to do was remove their glasses and they were suddenly yeah, exactly. yeah. attractive. Yeah. Uh, Southgate, I don't know, grew a beard. But yeah, on, yeah, that aside, um, I just, Dave, I'm not entirely sure I feel hugely comfortable about Aaron Ramsdale getting an MBE. <laughs> but he was good around the camp, so. I mean, again, uh, again, to draw a, a comparison with the cricket thing, wasn't there a famous thing in cricket where Paul Collingwood got sledged by the Aussies because he got an MBE, but he'd only played for... For twenty, it was like an injury replacement or something. I probably got that very wrong, but I think I think that's a thing. And yeah, I mean Ben Ben White's probably going to be. I think it's Ben White, uh, Ben White and Ben Chilwell. They're the only two outfield players that haven't been on the pitch yet. I think that's right. So it would be it'd be somewhere like that as well, maybe. But Connor yeah, Cody as well. Easy targets. They're easy targets for this. Yeah, Connor Cody. Just like Connor Cody for a laugh. <laughs> Give Connor Cody a knighthood for a laugh. No, 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 no banter good. knighthood. We're not doing banter knighthoods. No, we're, we're beyond that. We're a serious, this is serious. <laughs> um, give Gary Lewin a uh, honorary. <laughs> As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code The Athletic. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. 
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's some, here some other inevitabilities. James, Ryan Richardson suggests um, that social media hype, perhaps even indeed a clamour, for a bank holiday in celebration. It will run for a day or so before someone from the government conf- confirms that it won't be granted or it will be too expensive. We could be into demanding bank holiday territory, wouldn't we? That'd be great. I don't know. Do you get people demanding a bank holiday for sporting success? I mean, I guess we've just not had enough to know, but I don't remember that being a thing after like the Rugby World Cup or the Ashes. Or Different level, it's football, though. It's football. I know. Mm. Oh, like, don't get me wrong. It is a proper it's thing larger this time. than that. Yeah. Um, I, can, I, can see the, you know, I can see some of the, the papers... I can see the Sun or the Daily Star yeah, big true. jumping, no. jumping on even the Daily Mail, maybe jumping on the bandwagon and, and calling, calling for it. Demanding, um, but it sort of feels like you know what you mean. Yeah, politicians may take the sensible approach and say no, we can't do it. But also, you could you could just picture Oliver Dowden coming out and, and, <laughs> yeah. and announcing it, couldn't you? You could definitely. I tell you what, I'll do you a deal, James and Dave. Indeed, if you got a bank holiday for England winning the Euros. And it was on, you know, same day every year, like the Monday off, whatever. But but you had to refer it by law. You had to refer to it as Three Lions Day. <laughs> Would you take that deal? You have to refer. You can't call it anything else. You can't call it, I don't know, July bank holiday. You have to call it Three Lions Day. Yeah, why would I have a problem with that? I don't Even know. Even if you weren't making me call it that, that's what I'd call it. Yeah. I'm just going to start calling Sunday that from now on. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, no, I'd definitely take it. Uh, and I can also, I could also envisage like, you know, such is the ridiculous world we live in nowadays that there, if we, if this bank holiday, if Three Lions Day becomes a reality, <laughs> there, there'll be somebody out there who will take the, or turn some columnist on some, somewhere will say, oh, this is a disgrace. It's just football. We didn't get a bank holiday from Prince Philip died. This is a this, this is an insult to his memory and stuff like that. It will be there'll be there'll be a backlash, won't there? Yeah, that's very conceivable. Um, taking it to uh, even further extremes, Dave. If it becomes a bit like Christmas, I imagine there'll be people who uh, who celebrate Three Lions Day every day of the year. So <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, get, get their England kit and just just for the purposes of featuring in a in page seven of uh, of a tabloid newspaper. But just yeah, they celebrate three lines every day. They have to have the same meal. Uh, what would it <laughs> be? George, Cro- George Cross is all outside their house every day for the <laughs> <Yeah>. whole year, <laughs> watching the watching a BBC montage as soon as they get up. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that is what I've done all weekend. So yeah, that, no, yeah. true. Also, also, maybe we're already there. Who knows? It's interesting though, isn't it? We're having the we're having these these uh, conversations because we genuinely don't know what to do as you said we are very much tempting fate here and hopefully sir bert millichip and all the footballing gods will look <laughs> down kindly upon us but um we've never done like apart from our you know some our parents who grandparents or whoever was you know around in 66 we just don't know what to do what what are we, what are we supposed to do are we supposed to have street parties like is that a thing like where do we watch the match it's like I, I know what to do for quarterfinals and semi-finals i've done them before 
but I don't know what to do. I don't know that what true, proper actually. protocol is for a final. It's true because in, in the World Cup, when England played Croatia, and obviously Croatia, a very good side, as we found out to our cost, but it was it was a it was conceivable that England could win that game. I remember finding it really weird to imagine the possibility of England being in the final and where I would watch it. And I remember there being a lot of talk about like big screenings at Hyde Park and everyone kind of saying, "Well, you've got to go there. Yeah, you've got to go to Hyde Park. Why would you not?" Yeah. Why, why would you watch it in the pub like you watched every other game? <laughs> what, I mean, no, it's yeah, just absolutely no. ludicrous. It'd be crap to watch it in Hyde Park. I mean, such is such is our level of befuddlement about how we're going to feel and what we're going to do if England win a tournament, James. You know, I'm, I'm scraping the barrel for places for inspiration about, you know, instruction of what to do here. Even, even, even like the betting adverts, the generic football fan betting adverts have never told us and have never envisaged this situation of winning a tournament. It's all just a goal going in in a random game. We, we don't know what we're supposed to do. There is no script. What's going to be even worse is what happens afterwards. Like if England win the tournament, I don't know, you know, anyone Welsh or Scottish or Irish or from anywhere else in the world listening to this is probably going to be, you know, especially if they're listening to this on Thursday morning, may well be pissing themselves now. Fine. If, <laughs> yeah, if matter, England yeah. win this tournament, we're not going to know what to do with ourselves. Like, how, how do we go into the World Cup? If we've won the Euros, what do we, I mean, how, how do we approach the World Cup? Can you it's see just, yourself getting just, bored of it? Could you, do you reckon you just get bored of it? Of it? Only, do you have the hunger after that? Yeah, I don't know. It's felt like such an unattainable thing for such a long time to win a tournament and then suddenly be going into the next one, especially because it's coming around so quickly. Yeah, it's going to David, be really weird. A, there is a danger that the whole the whole rhetoric could become quite tedious after two months. Like you know, even Leicester winning the league got a bit boring after a while. It's like, oh god, the fairy tale. It's going to be like that. It was sort of sad, wasn't it, when Ranieri got sacked after that after that amazing situation, and that might happen with Southgate. Like he, there will there will there will become a moment at some point where England aren't good again. Yeah. Definitely. And yeah, it'll be tough. But I mean, literally, my disgust at, our, at all, all three of us is, is ramping up with each word that comes out of our mouths here. We, I mean, we really are tempting the fate here. Oh, yeah, no, sorry, I know not. Adam doesn't believe in this, but honestly, this is killing me. This I'm getting very nervous. Yeah, well, we're only halfway through this section as well because I've got more. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be piling it on. Don't worry, because the more rye we get, the less it's going to feel like we're tempting fate. It's fine. We're not celebrating it. We, if anything, we're taking the piss out of the idea. So um, uh, Stephen Liggett, James, suggests that um, a range of special royal stamps are inevitable. Uh, of course. Would you, would you buy them and use them? I, I think I would. Well, I mean, if you're buying them and using them, you're not... I mean, that's weird, isn't it? Surely, you, if you're going to go out of your way to buy them, you don't use them. Keep them. Well, yeah. they're like collectibles, aren't they? Surely. Oh, well, yeah. No, it's a good, good point. Now you've got to play the long game. In fact, I would go even further. I think for the first point in my life, Dave, I would be, I would be inclined to go and buy a commemorative coin that <laughs> one of those coins that are advertised on TV. That Probably pound for pound no pun intended, the tackiest adverts I've ever seen. Commemorative coin adverts. Oh, commemorative plates, I think, are slightly worse. Oh, yeah, you get those mm. on the back of the Times or something, don't you? Yeah, yeah or like, yeah, in the magazine with like the yeah. or News of the World or whatever, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which still exists, I'm, right? But all, those, all those magazines that um, you used to get advertised on telly where like with the first the first issue <laughs> you get like a you get a big yes. thing, like a plate. Or Such a, a good like deal. A, or like a plane. It's always build. a fighter jet. Yeah, no, it's, the, it's the dinosaur, isn't it? And everyone has the same bit, right? The, the, the spine and the head of a T-Rex. Everyone had that as a kid. 
If you if you were kind of issue like born one. in the mid eighties, you had that as a child, the spine and the skull of the T Rex. <laughs> I bet everyone had that. And then yeah, issue two, the price goes up to six ninety nine out of nowhere. Um, yeah. Now I think the, the closest I came to buying one of those um, incredibly implied value magazines was military watches. I realise that makes me sound like Mark Corrigan <laughs> from Peter. But I was like, you get a watch every week. That sounds amazing. Um, military yeah. watch, military <laughs> watches. This thing was like getting a watch with every magazine. So really cool. Um, not in, not into my military history should add, but you know, just watch into is watches. A watch. Is that better? Yeah, watches. Yeah, a free watch of the magazine. That's incredible. Better than a fucking dinosaur, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say the dinosaur skeleton uh, closing the dark? So oh, all for you. Sorry, where are we? Where are we? Well, we have. Um, will we have banknotes? Will they put someone? Will a Southgate on a fifty-pound note? Sterling, surely. Yes. Uh, well, Clever. yeah, exactly. Clever. It's right there for him. Uh, Matty Cash, sad that he's not in the <laughs> squad. Dave, I put it to you that within within a year of England lifting the trophy, as you as you uh, already imagining, someone will have a child named Jordan, Kyle, Harry, John, Luke, Calvin, Declan, Bakayo, Mason, Raheem, Harry. And it'll probably be the child of the man who lives three lines day every day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, yeah. Page seven of of a tabloid newspaper is going to be this guy's forever. Um, he's he's going to have a, a little gimmick for every single day. On to relatively more serious matters. James Ben Law asks: um, Will there be a debate about whether a star should be added to the crest for winning a Euros, or whether it should be just reserved for World Cups? That would be getting ahead of ourselves, wouldn't it? That would be that would be that'd be too Bob behaviour, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. I also I mean do other Silver countries have them for the Euros? Or is it just for the World Cup? I don't think they do, do they? But if you've only won if you've been waiting for so long, I feel like England would do like a little silver star or something. We need like to that. come up with another little logo to put on there then, don't you, to commemorate winning the European Championship instead. You could have stars beneath the badge for, for Euros, above the badge for World Cup. Something like that, I know. Yeah. Or the collar or something hidden away. But I, one thing I'm fairly sure about, Dave, is that it, it I mean, as good as this team are performing it doesn't feel like this is the sort of team that they would say this team are going to go on and dominate international football. This isn't this isn't the start of something, really, is it? It doesn't feel like we're going to be. It doesn't feel like Spain two thousand and eight, no. you know, where we can, we've got a chance to win the next you know three tournaments in a row. This is genuinely fake tempting territory. Actually, I, I, I realise yeah. we have gone a step too far. Actually, but we, we're too, we're too far into it now. <laughs> we've, got to, we've got to carry on, but. I, I, it feels like a moment, doesn't mm. it? It feels like we feels like we're on the crest of a wave yeah. here. With, it's all with, right. With if it, it, it's all right. If it's the only one. To me, it doesn't. It doesn't matter at all. But, but actually, but not many. Spain are the exception, aren't they? That, that, that was not many teams do go on to, to dominate international football, really, mm. do they? You know, back to back tournaments, Euros. Mm. That that Spain team's the only one I think is uh, France ninety eight, France ninety eight, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's quite rare. That way so right. I think mm. I think it would. But but what actually? But again, on a you know. Another point is um, the World Cup is close. You know, it's eighteen months mm. away. So momentum. But again, that'll be a weird. It'll be a weird World Cup. So oh, it's, we yeah. have if if <laughs> taking it two steps too far. Here we go. If, if we did, let's we, get that second star. If we did win this, you know, relatively speaking, absurdly um, situated Euros, and then going on and to win the most ridiculous World Cup of all time. I think. I think, genuinely speaking. In about 50 years, we'll look back and go, that's a bit shit. It's a bit shit time to <laughs> The footballing gods have actually taking the piss out of you by making your team relatively competitive at the worst possible time. Agreed? Agreed. Yeah, roll on Euro 2024. Dave, Elizabeth Barnard says, so we talk about 1966 in the national psyche, and that's great. 
If England win, do we talk about 2020 or 2021? Good question. Oh, yeah, that is a great So question. if you talk about the tournament, I guess you'd say, obviously you would say Euro 2020, but I mean, we're not. We're going to be referred to the year of 2021. The heroes of 2021. Mm. I, I, it's a yeah, real conundrum because obviously the whole... We still call it, everyone is, we've kind of accepted now that it's Euro 2020. Mm. We, that, that's just the way it is because of the, the, the fucking branding had to stay the same. Yes. We'd, already, we'd already printed it. We couldn't change it. I don't it. want to reprint but, um, sticker books. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I, I kind of think it will be referred to as 2020. I think, I think because that's the tournament, that's the, the Euro 2020 a, winning side. I, I, I think I, I was inclined to think the other way around. I mean, I mean. I mean, it's not ideal for the year to be what it is, but it is what it is, and I think we'll remember it as such. James, where are you leaning? Uh, yeah, twenty twenty. Stick with the branding. You've got to stay true to the branding always, above above all else. Uh, do you think we've angered the football gods enough now? Well, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ted Croker's really angry. <laughs> uh, Gordon McKee. Um, yes. Anyway, yes, I do believe that's enough fate tempting for one night. We're only in the semi-finals. What are we doing? Will there be a retrospective clamour for... Because if the government do, or the Queen or whoever, who decides to turn knight people, it's the Queen, isn't it? So if if the Queen decides to um, give them knighthoods when they, when they win the hmm. tournament, hmm. but then you've got, uh, you know, poor old Jimmy Greaves and anyone else who's left from the 66 oh, yeah. World Cup team who aren't knighted, and obviously Bobby Moore is, you know, the whole posthumous knight mm. thing as well. Like, sure, well, they have to go back and do it all. That, that, that'll be tricky for yeah, them, won't they? that's true. You'd have, oh, yeah, you'd be digging up all those old campaigns. So it's an administrative nightmare, isn't it? Let's bin it off. Just get loose to Denmark, it'll be much easier. Will Jeff Hurst be secretly a bit annoyed if England win the tournament? <laughs> I Not really, I really hope Kane scores hat trick in the final for that reason <laughs> alone, uh, and I hope it's miles better as well. And I hope all the goals are, um, you know, miles I've verified immediately. <laughs> yeah, but that, yeah, that is that is truly enough. I started off this episode thinking it would be quite funny to talk about England winning Euros. Now I do feel quite genuinely nervous. Um, about the prospect of having done so. I feel like we should make some sort of sacrifice to the footballing gods here or mm. some sort of... Burn your some sort of, We've got to do something to, yeah, <laughs> Burn just it. to balance, balance it out. Still very troubled by the idea of you leaving your water up for a week. But yeah, I'm off to buy a long sleeve shirt. So thank you, Sir David Walker. And thanks to you, James Moore, MBE, oh. for joining me. Sorry, <laughs> it's, just, it's just the minutes. It's minutes. It's minutes played on the old uh, podcast uh, trundling towards the line where I say goodbye everyone goodbye everyone see you next time cheers The Athletic <laughs>